This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. And welcome to the Friday edition of the Noon Business Hour. This portion sponsored by Mesero Wealth Management. For Rob Hart, I'm Jim Goodis. Food inflation running hot. It's starting to affect consumer behavior in a big way, and we'll cover that in our next segment. But first, stocks trading sharply lower in both the Dow and Dow Transports and the Industrials are approaching key technical levels on the downside. Joining us with the latest on the time-tested Dow theory is Chuck Carlson, the CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter in Hammond. So, Chuck, I'm thinking this is probably one of those times where you want to test the, both the industrials and the transports. How do you do that, and what are you doing? Sure, uh, Jim. Uh, thank you for having me. The um, Dow Theory basically says that we are in a bear market, but during those bear markets, uh, in order for the trend to change from bearish to bullish, you need to have rallies off of previous lows and then those retests of those lows and those lows holds. We're seeing retests right now on the May 19th lows in the Dow Jones Industrial and Dow Jones Transportation Average. And unfortunately, uh, if we closed right now, the Dow Jones Transportation Average has gone below that May 19th low. So we'll have to wait and see. The Dow Theory works on closes. But that's an important point to watch, and right now it, it doesn't look very favorable. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, on the other hand, is still hanging in there uh, above its May 19th low, which is around 31,253. But we're getting awfully close, and, and this market feels heavy, and my guess is um, we will close below that. I don't know if it's going to be today, but probably next week. So uh, unfortunately, from a Dow Theory perspective, it looks like these retests are not going to be successful in terms of holding those previous lows. That confirms the bear market and, and will likely extend the downward trend that we have been seeing in the market this year. And again, a reminder, we're looking at those lows, closing lows from May 19th. The industrials were at 31,253.13. The transports were at 13,439.21. So at this point, you know, as you say, the Transport's already there. Industrials could be there before the end of the day, depending on how they both close. And who knows, they could rebound as well. Uh, it, it's sounding as if right now the Dow theory is not looking very promising, or or is it? I mean, is there some hope in what we're seeing in the Dow theory? Tell me at least maybe if there's some silver lining in this dark cloud. Well, the, the silver lining would be if we if the market manages to rally this afternoon and holds those previous those previous lows. Uh, and, and it could. Uh, I don't expect it to. Uh, again, it's, it's Friday. We typically don't get those sorts of things happening because traders in a little area of carrying positions into the weekend, especially during a down market. So, you know, from a Dow Theory perspective, 
Unfortunately, what looked like a little bit of glimmer of hope on this latest rally that we had prior to Thursday and Friday, you know, that hope was kind of dashed here. So we'll have to wait and see how the market responds uh, to those lows for the rest of today. And then once it goes through those lows, is it going to see a significant downdraft uh, following those penetration of those lows? Well, Chuck, with the way the markets are trending right now with what you're expecting, what's your advice? My advice would be that, you know, patience is probably going to pay off here in terms of of waiting and in terms of, you know, allocating a lot of new money to the market. I'm all for buying stocks when they're down. And certainly a lot of stocks have pulled back pretty significantly. But, but, you know, I'm all for kind of putting money into the market when there seems to be some hope of maybe the market bottoming here. And uh, I think that is still too early to be doing that. So, you know, make sure your portfolios are allocated uh, the way you want them to be for your risk profile um, and just show some patience here because I think that patience will pay off and being able to get better entry points. That's Chuck Carlson, the CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter out of Hammond. He's testing those market lows and We'll see how they go with the industrials and the transports. Coming up, the impact of higher food prices on foot traffic in restaurants and grocery store aisles. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Consumers are being forced to change their eating and shopping habits as soaring inflation affects their budgets. And let's get an update from R.J. Hadovy, the head of analytical research at foot traffic analysis firm Placer AI here in Chicago. So what's going on with inflation and the effect it's having on our eating and shopping habits? Yeah, if you take a look across the board, I, I do think inflation, including both gas and food inflation, has had an impact on restaurant visitations, uh, and it's impacting the, the different categories in, in different ways. Uh, we've seen the QSR category, generally speaking, hold up pretty well, as we've actually seen a bit of trade down. Some middle-income consumers looking to stretch their household budget to trade it down to uh, to quick service restaurant uh, chains. Uh, at the same time, full service chains and casual dining chains have actually seen uh, you know foot traffic declines compared to pre-pandemic levels, uh, largely because of that. That being said, we do see a bifurcation too. Higher-end consumers are continuing to go to full service restaurants and and actually seeing their average ticket up, not just because of inflation, they're spending more there. Uh, but generally speaking, we've seen an impact, and it, it seems to be hitting the uh, the restaurant. Uh, category across the board is is it simply the fact that people are like you know what i don't care i want dinner out i want a nice dinner i'm willing to pay for it or are restaurants in some ways finding a way to kind of make their menus kind of less sensitive to inflation by maybe changing them evolving them maybe going for higher end items how's how's that all working yeah it's it's a lot of uh, a lot of great questions there um, you know, what we're seeing is that it, uh, inflation, I, I think a lot of restaurant companies, they're, they're dealing with a perfect storm right now. You're dealing with not only higher food costs, but we're also still dealing with labor shortages and labor inflation. So that's been hitting them. Uh, at the same time, a lot of the rent deferrals that we saw during the pandemic have also gone away. So you've got an inflationary period, not just with food, but across a lot of other categories. And unfortunately, there just really is no other way than having to raise menu prices. We've almost seen uh, across the board most 
QSR and full-service restaurants have to raise prices in some way. Uh, some of the companies, some of the larger companies that do have scale advantages, we've seen maybe they, they pull back a bit and you know, hold the line a bit on pricing to, can, to drive traffic. Um, at the same time, you know, the higher-end restaurants um, you know, really have had to, to raise prices as well. Uh, obviously, their customer base is not as sensitive to price increases. So we've seen uh, some of those players hold up well, but it is having an impact across the board. The interesting thing, too, is if you look at this in comparison to grocery stores, grocery stores have also seen a lot of inflation. Uh, but generally speaking, uh, I think there's been a lot of new habits learned during the pandemic and a lot more consumers are, are cooking meals at home. And we've actually seen traffic uh, trends at grocery stores hold up relatively well, at least compared to restaurants, uh, even though they've had a pass on prices to consumers as well. So it's interesting the interplay between both restaurants and grocery stores at this point. And are you seeing, RJ, any reduced sensitivity as people, you know, unfortunately are getting into the mode of just expecting prices to go higher, maybe getting used to this after we had some, you know, fairly steady inflation numbers for so many years, <laughs> that, that people are actually kind of just becoming desensitized to rising prices a bit? You know, early on, that, that seemed to be the case. And if you look kind of when we started to see food inflation really start to tick up, and that was about the second half of last year, I would say that most consumers were kind of desensitized to it, even though we were running ahead of historical inflation norms. Um, yeah, I think that that had been the case. More recently, though, I do think that the combination of, of volatile stock markets, um, you know, inflation in other categories, such as gas, I think that the combination of all those factors has started to impact consumers. Typically speaking, consumers are, are generally quick to adjust, and it takes a major shock in the system to change behavior. I, I think we may be reaching that point, though, with a lot of you know other changes that are going on in the marketplace right now. Um, and at least, you know, it's, it's given a lot of consumers at least another reason to, to be more restrained when it comes to purchasing. So I'll be interested to see where we go from here. But, um, you know, I think we're, we're at least right now, until we start to see some relief on it, we might start to see uh, or at least continue to see pressure on overall visitation trends in the category. R.J. Hadovy, the head of analytical research at the foot traffic analysis firm Placer AI here in Chicago. Thanks, R.J. Always great to hear from you. Up next, the U.S. government drops a key requirement for international air travelers. International air travelers to the U.S. will no longer have to take a COVID-19 test within a day before boarding their flights. And we'll talk about that significant change with Joe Schwederman, the professor of public services and director of the Chaddock Institute out of DePaul here in Chicago. So... Joe, when does this change take effect, and what do you think it'll mean for international travel? You know, this does take effect Sunday, so it's going to happen pretty quick. And it comes after intense lobbying by the airlines that, you know, Europe has relaxed its restrictions a while back. Uh, six weeks ago, the mandate was lifted on mass transit and buses and things. Uh, so uh, the airlines are applauding this and uh, comes a little late for some of the summer travel uh, bookings the airlines are pushing for. But certainly is good news for the air travel industry. Now, if they've decided that this is a good thing, why do you even have to wait until Sunday? I know that seems pretty quick. Quick, but uh, why can't they just say, okay, you don't need it anymore? You know, I think there's an element of, of chaos when this happens, that people are in Europe wondering, do I need to get a test? And uh, some are in the process of getting tests. And, of course, uh, uh, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, Airports where there's a little training required as to how they're going to handle uh, people that maybe boarded a flight just before the deadline and are arriving uh, after the deadline. So it's uh, it takes a little time to do this, but uh, they are moving pretty quick. And and I can tell you that this this mandate 
just has been looming in people's minds when they travel. Their whole trip, many are thinking, okay, what happens if I test positive? I'm going to be stuck in a hotel room. Uh, do I have a plan B option if I, uh, uh, you know, if the test doesn't, the negative test doesn't lift? And so I think uh, psychologically, uh, this really helps where people are looking to book trips right now across the water. I mean, is it something where people were saying, I don't want to get stuck in a hotel room. I'm not booking a trip right now. Well, we've certainly all heard stories about that, and I experience this too in some of my trips where people I'm with have uh, tested positive and, and have had to stay. And, uh, uh, you know, it requires lots of time on the telephone to, re- to book your flight. It, it requires, uh, you know, being getting the right kind of test. And so I think here we're seeing, you know, they're going to review this every 90 days. We have a couple of new variants out, and, you know, who knows if we're going to see a, a return. But at least for the summer season, you know, the U.S. travel industry uh, really felt we have a lopsided effect with more people uh, 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 going to Europe. Europeans are hesitant to come here uh, because of the requirements, and this sort of levels the playing field a bit. All right. That's Joe Schwederman, the professor of public services and director of the Chaddock Institute. Here at DePaul, always our go-to guy when it comes to air travel. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Still ahead on Entrepreneur Friday, we meet a man who grew up in the family furniture business and is now running one in the Chicago area. This is Chicago's all-news station, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's 12:30. Good afternoon for Rob Hart. I'm Jim Goodis, and these are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. An ambush shooting on the South Side this morning leaves a man dead and a woman seriously wounded. The latest gauge of inflation confirms the pain being felt by consumers. On Entrepreneur Friday, a Chicago-area family furniture business is now run by a man who grew up in a similar situation in the Northeast. And we'll get a contrarian view of the markets from a longtime observer and analyst. Right now on Wall Street, the Dow is down 731 points, the S&P 500 down 103, and the Nasdaq is down 389 points. Again, clouds moving in. Could see a shower or thunderstorm this afternoon as we head up to highs between 76 and 80. Right now at O'Hare under partly sunny skies, it's 76 at 1231. A man is dead and a woman seriously hurt following a shooting on the south side this morning. Chicago police say it happened on the 1600 block of West 81st Street about 5.30 a.m. A black four-door sedan approached a man and a woman and a gunman got out and opened fire. The 31-year-old man was shot multiple times. He was pronounced dead at a hospital. The 29-year-old woman was shot in the arm and in the back. She was in serious condition. No one was in custody. Terry Keschner, 105.9 WBBM. The cost of gas, food, and other necessities jumped in May, raising inflation to a nearly 40-year high. The Consumer Price Index surged more than 8.5% last month. CBS business analyst Jill Schlesinger 
reports on expected action from the Federal Reserve. When you look at the the way that the market looks ahead at what the Fed might do, it looks like the market is expecting a half a point next week, then a half a point in July, and then another half a point in September. The rise in inflation was spurred by a sharp increase in energy prices and a strong hike in housing costs. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Markets are in the red, and we're joined by Jim Welsh, the macro strategist and portfolio manager with Smart Portfolios out of San Diego. And a reminder that uh, Jim's website, macrotides.com. So uh, it's kind of a bit obvious as to why things are happening today on Wall Street, but what's your take on the CPI numbers, the consumer sentiment numbers, and what we should be looking forward to with those and with the other developments we've been seeing on Wall Street? Well, as I noted previously, uh, Jim, and in my June macro tides, which for faithful listeners of the Noon Business Hour, I'd be happy to send a copy of the June macro tides. I went into great detail explaining why it was going to be possible for the CPI to actually tick higher. All they have to do is send me an email at jimwelshmacro at gmail, and I'll be happy to send it out. Uh, in April, Jim, 76% of the categories in the CPI were up more than 4%. So it isn't just, uh, you know, there are some obviously big leaders, gas, uh, shelter, airfares went up an awful lot, uh, but it's very, very broad based. And what that implies is that it's going to be more difficult for the Fed to, if you will, navigate a soft landing and have inflation come down to an acceptable level, not in 2022, sometime next year. So what is your advice moving forward in, in just in general terms? I think we've, yep. we've, we've been just talking about this. But again, it's just a good reminder. What's the best approach right now in a market like this, in economic conditions like these? Well, historically, Jim, whenever the Fed shifts from easing to tightening policy, the stock market struggles. And given that we have inflation at a 40-year high, uh, you know that means they have to lean that much harder and tighten financial conditions in order to slow the economy, which means earnings come down and the market gets under pressure. So this is a theme that I sounded actually last December, and I think it's going to continue. So, you know, for most investors, selling down to a comfort level isn't a bad idea, um, because if the Fed has to go comfortably above the neutral level, which is around 2.5%, the probability of a recession next year will start to increase the average bear market decline since 1950 is down 36%. So that's the odds that we're facing. And, you know, soft landings, the Fed has succeeded since 1947, three out of 14 times. Statistic that I've talked about, that means they've had a success ratio of 21%. And none of us would be happy about a sports team that was winning at a 210 clip. I was just going to say, that's not even a great batting average. Uh, so, <laughs> just north of the Mendoza line, right? So, <laughs> so let me ask you this. Just perspective-wise, we're talking about history now. How does we've, – we've, we've been through inflationary cycles before. Uh, is, there, is there anything about this one that makes it so different that it is either uh, more concerning or yeah. perhaps more promising? that this is why we're seeing this rise in prices as compared to past inflationary cycles. 
Um, there are some components that are outside the Fed's reach. So they can raise rates, slow domestic economy. But unless we see improvement in the energy market, which is going to be problematic, uh, obviously the Ukraine war is adding uh, aspects both in terms of energy and food. Again, items that are beyond the Fed's reach, supply chain issues uh, beyond the Fed's reach. So those are the components, Jim, that I've written about that were going to make the Fed's job more difficult and they were basically going to move forward to get the funds rate to neutral and then kind of hope that some of these things that are beyond their control start to help as opposed to being a headwind. And I think that's a, they're going to continue on that path. Now, Jim, you said you had some information for our listeners. And, of course, some people are driving. Some people may didn't have a chance to write it down. Yep. So tell them again how they can get this important information right now. Uh, Jim Welsh, W-E-L-S-H, macro at Gmail, and I'll send you the June issue of Macro Tides. That's Jim Welsh, who is the macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego. And again, you can also check out his website and get some key information, macrotides.com. Up next on Entrepreneur Friday, growing up in a family furniture business and transferring that experience to another family. Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Entrepreneur Friday, and this afternoon, the focus is on a suburban family furniture business that's now run by a man who has personal experience in that same situation. And we welcome Will Harris, the president of Darwin Furniture in Orland Park. So, Will, I imagine, you know, the furniture business is often a family business, and I imagine it's important to come in with that experience if you're going to run a a firm like Darwin, but I understand you're going to take your experience and take Darwin to the next level. How are you going to do that? Well, I, first of all, I think you're right. The, there's a certain rhythm to this business, and uh, that that is what, where I come from. I'm also a fourth generation um, a fourth generation furniture retailer, uh, but uh, you know, Darwin is 102 years old, 102 years strong, and we're still expanding, uh, and we're doing that in a variety of ways, including selling online, where we've had like a approximately a tenfold increase since pre-pandemic. Well, is it something where because it's a family business, maybe it doesn't evolve as quickly as it should? And is that something that you're looking at doing with Darwin to say, hey, we need to keep up with the times. We need to keep up with the technology. We need to not rely. You know, we've had a successful formula, but we've got to look beyond that to keep our success going. Well, one of our competitive advantages, we're actually just one store here at Darwin serving all of Chicagoland, and we can make decisions and improve very, very quickly because we're all under one roof. So just the opposite. We can move very quickly, and uh, I'm also pleased to report that even though we have the family business ethos, we also uh, are an ESOP now. Uh, so the uh, retiring generation, that's Marty and Steve, who are still very, very involved here at Darwin, uh, actually sold the business to the employees. So we are also an employee-owned company as well. So what are you looking at? As you are the president of Darwin, what is your game plan moving forward to, you know, Darwin already a great success story, you know, a, a South Suburban store that is servicing the entire Chicago area. That's quite an achievement considering the competition you have out there. What is your plan, Will, to uh, take Darwin to that next step? 
Well, where we find success is wherever we can improve customer outcomes. And we do that organically here at Darwin uh, through training, through teamwork, uh, and through our winning culture. And that has been tremendously, that culture has been tremendously successful for us in terms of recruiting and having the best team uh, available. And it's that, it's that team, it's the individuals, it's the people in the store that really make the experience uh, for the customer uh, what it is today. And what it sounds like is that because you have that that family feel with your staff, with being employee-owned now, that sort of thing, that that translates over to the customer feeling more like they're part of the family and that they can be comfortable and confident in the people they deal with at Darwin as they are making their furniture buying decisions. That's absolutely true. That That is true. And, you know, we have uh, first, second, third, and fourth generation uh, customers as well as employees. Uh, and Darwin has never done it better than we do it today. Uh, we have a tremendous in-stock position with over 55,000 items uh, in stock in our distribution center. So, yes, in some cases, our customer will come in and place an order for that perfect fabric or one thing or another. But uh, they might also be able to uh, take advantage of same-day delivery and, uh, and take it home today as well. And is that a problem that some of the furniture companies have had, that they haven't brought in someone like you who has that experience, understands how a business like this is run, the family roots of this type of business, and has that been problematic for other furniture retailers? I, I think I think that that is something that uh, you know some retailers have run into. Um, you know, I have an MBA, but you know, if I tried to use that MBA to really run this business and not not uh, not with the you know the in depth experience that I had growing up in the business, then probably there would be there would be a problem. I I like to tell people that furniture is all about the love. It's the love of the product and the love of the customer first, and uh, and everything else comes after. That's Will Harris, the president of Darwin Furniture out of Orland Park. Thanks, Will, for joining us on Entrepreneur Friday. Still to come, a look at financial markets through the lens of a contrarian. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Contrarian investing is deciding to put money into assets that go against the general market sentiment. And joining us with his perspective, Mark Holbert, the investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barons and MarketWatch.com out of Washington. So, Mark, is there something about the way that the economic factors are right now and the situation on Wall Street that is making contrarian investing perhaps a a more popular or at least more intriguing option? <laughs> I, I don't think contrarian investing will ever be popular by definition, but it may be more intriguing. I don't know. I mean, the worry right now is that everyone claims to be really pessimistic and there are lots of surveys that make it look like the consumer and the average investor and so forth is pretty glum right now. But what we are showing in some of our uh, daily tracking of sentiment is that the moment the market starts to turn back up, you have a lot of investors jumping back on the, the bullish bandwagon. In fact, they're eagerly jumping back. They're ready to call the bottom and say that happy days are here again. And that is usually a bad sign from a contrarian point of view. The typical pattern, the typical sentiment picture at a market bottom is that no one believes that it's a bottom. And then, of course, then 
in a contrary sort of way that ends up being when the market takes off. We're not seeing that yet. We're seeing a lot of pessimism, but it's uh, it's perhaps only an inch deep rather than the really deep, despairing, dis- you know, pessimism that is the characteristic of a bottom. So, what is it about the market right now that does not have people thinking? Okay. It's time to be a contrarian investor uh, because it's 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 going to get a lot worse. What is, in an odd sense, giving people at least enough optim- optimism to say, uh, okay, it's we're not there yet. Well, you know, I think it's a, it goes back to the last ten years, or in fact, twelve, thirteen years back to the uh, global financial crisis, which of course was the last one that gave investors that really deep despair. But since then, the, dr- the drops have been relatively short and have the market has recovered uh, particularly quickly. In fact, the memory that was still pretty fresh is what happened after uh, the, uh, the initial COVID lockdowns caused the market to drop 34 percent in just six, uh, in fact, five or six weeks time. And yet by August and September of 2020, the market was higher than where it was before that bear market started. And that kind of experience gives people the belief that they just hold on long enough and the market will quickly come back. And it's only when they finally throw in the towel on that belief that, uh, at least from a contrarian point of view, you won't see that uh, the final bottom of any decline. But isn't the, the common wisdom, especially at a time like this, don't throw in the towel because, you know, eventually you will recover, at least if, if well, past performance is indicative of potentially future results. No, I couldn't agree with you more. That is the correct advice to give to people. The problem is that their psychology works against them. To uh, as one advisor told me the other day, he said that uh, you know, for somebody who uh, who really is willing to buy and hold through a bear market is either catatonic or dead. That was the statement that this advisor made. It it really goes against every fiber of our psyches to uh, to be willing to hold on. So even though we should. Most of us do not. All right. That's Mark Holbert, the investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's and MarketWatch.com out of Washington. Thank you, sir, as always, for your perspective. You'll find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.